You ought to forget. So I'm curious. How many guys out there love to stop and ask for directions? <laughs> no. How many ladies love to stop and ask for directions? You don't have a problem with it? Why is it that guys are always labeled as like the people that never want to stop and ask? Could it be true? I don't know. Pride? I don't know. Could be. Could be. But it is a well-known thing that guys hate to stop and ask. I stopped and asked for directions once, and uh, I remember the, the one guy said, yeah, yeah, I was asking how to get to a place, and he said, yeah, you can't get there from here. And I'm thinking to myself, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> That's like one of the dumbest things. I can't get there from here. This is, uh, this is an interesting message we get to do today. We get to look in today. This is one of those moments where Jesus seems to lose his temper. And... Talking about uh, this message today and doing the study that I did in it has kind of opened my eyes as to, uh, he didn't lose his temper because nobody was giving him directions, but he did, he did kind of lose it in this case because the directions that he had given were getting messed up by other people. Jesus is walking into the temple in the book of John today. And when he walks into the temple, the first people he runs into are, do you know the story? Where he just loses it on these people, makes a cord of whip, a cord of whips, a whip of cords. I don't know how you say it. Makes a whip, homemade, and drives them all out. You know the story, right? It seems like Jesus kind of loses it on these folks. And as we look into this uh, this story today, I am I am really concerned about the fact that perhaps some of us believe that Jesus kind of loses it here, is out of control and does something in rage, anger? Or could it be that there's something else going on under the surface? So we have a lot to cover today. Jump in your, in your Bibles or on your tablets or whatever uh, media you're using to John chapter two. We're gonna pick up in verse 13. Here's what it says. The Passover of the Jews was at hand and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. John continues to help us understand, those of us that don't know anything about Hebrew life or Jewish life, he continues to help us understand, okay, everybody, those of you that are not Jews, the Passover is a feast that's done on a regular basis, and you have to go to Jerusalem to sacrifice. So for all of us people out here that don't know what Jerusalem is for, sacrifices are for, I love the fact that John kind of brings us along in the story. Listen to it again. The Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. All factual stuff. So those of us that don't understand anything about Jewish system can understand this is a big deal. Now, for you not, for us to really understand it, the Jewish Passover was like Christmas. I mean, it, it was a big deal. Families got together. There's a whole pilgrimage involved. You go up, there's a lot of food. There's a lot of feasts. There's a lot of eating. There's a lot of drinking. There, this is like a celebration time. And if you could afford it, you brought animals with you. And that's kind of gross, but you get that out of the way, and the rest of it is just good times. And you get to bring a little bit of the animal home with you so you can cook it up and have some steaks on the grill. This is a big deal. An exciting moment called Passover. And it was all celebrated because of Israel being rescued from Egypt. Do you remember this? When Israel was brought out of Egypt, they were to celebrate the Passover because the last plague was the plague of the death of the firstborn. And the firstborn in your house would not die if you had something really important on the posts of your house. And what was that? If you put blood on the top and on the sides of your 
of your door, then the angel of death would pass over you and your firstborn would live. It all points toward the cross, even the symbol of putting, uh, putting blood on the top and the doorposts, you know? You've still got everything points toward, it's amazing how this all points toward Jesus' firstborn doesn't die, get it? Because the firstborn, God's, uh, God's uh, uh, only begotten son died for us. It, the whole thing points to Jesus, but I digress. They leave Egypt, and from that moment forward, they celebrate this day of rescue on Passover. You may not know this, but we do the same thing. Did you know that? Do you know when our celebration of Passover is? Passion Week. When we, uh, Palm Sunday is the introduction of our celebration of Easter. And so you have Palm Sunday when Jesus goes into Jerusalem, and then Friday when he's killed, or Thursday, if you believe it was on Thursday, could be either or. But he's killed on one of those two days, and we celebrate Good Friday on that day. And then Easter is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We still celebrate this. And we're going to do that big time here at Village Church East as well. Hope you're going to be a part of it. And all that information, again, is online. If you want to know what we're planning, vceast.org. You can find it all there. But the point of all of this is that Jesus went to incredible lengths. God has gone to incredible lengths to make access to him possible for everyone. Everyone who puts the blood on, they could be Egyptian, they could be Israelite in the land of Egypt, they could be people that were there that, were, that shouldn't have been there for any other reason, that the Egyptians had them there. It doesn't matter. If you put the blood on your posts of your house, you would be saved. Anyone that did this would save their firstborn. And so Passover is a celebration of God's efforts to make access to him and his grace and his love and his rescue possible, all right? It's a big deal. Now, here's the problem, and this is key. In Jesus' day, the spiritual leaders, now get this, it's not like the guys on the side of the street that didn't know any better. It's the spiritual leaders of Jesus' day that are throwing up roadblocks so that people have a hard time accessing God. They have made it difficult to worship God. And this is what gets Jesus boiled. Look at verse 14. In the temple he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers sitting there. These people were creating barriers to worship God. Three main barriers that I will point out to you this morning. Barrier number one they wanted to take advantage of people who were disadvantaged. Their goal was to make worship of God difficult for people who were disadvantaged. They counted on benefiting from those who had disadvantages. Now, to get to Jerusalem, some people had to walk great distances, and rarely could you get the bus, train, actually never, because there was no buses or trains. You, if you got lucky, you might find a donkey laying around, but you had to mostly walk, and you had to take your family. Now, have you taken your family on any sort of a long journey in your lifetime? Yeah, well, so have I. Like, and I had a car, and it was hard. Can you imagine doing it when you're walking and tenting along the way? I mean, you're bringing your whole family, and, 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 you got animals. Bring the animals along. Oh, come on. So you got, you got luggage, you got animals, 
you got tents or whatever you're staying in, and you got a bunch of kids and family that you're lugging along behind you. People had to travel great distances. They had to feed their families along the way. They had to feed the animals along. Owning sheep was expensive. Owning any animals were expensive. So what was happening was the poorer people couldn't afford the animals. They certainly couldn't afford to feed everybody. So they would bring food with them. They would do the best that they could. And by the time they got to Jerusalem, they counted on buying the materials there. It's like us when we travel on a plane. They charge you the equal price of the seat as they do to put your luggage below these days, right? Oh, yeah, 60 bucks for the seat. Sweet, you got a deal. Yeah, it's 120 if you want your luggage on, right? Same deal. These people were getting to, to Jerusalem, and they, they were thinking to themselves, I'm just going to buy everything when I get there. And when they got there, they did have that option. And there were people that would sell them oxen and sheep and pigeons and anything they wanted to sacrifice so that they wouldn't have to bring it with them or they couldn't afford to own it themselves. These people were disadvantaged and uh, they were hoping to buy things when they got there. The oxen was used for sin for offerings. The sheep was used for forgiveness. Oh, by the way, and the pigeons were used because God is so gracious. If you can't afford a lamb, you could actually get a pigeon. Did you know that? Pigeons are a dime a dozen. If you didn't know that, travel to downtown Chicago. You'll, you'll <laughs> feast on them down there galore. Pigeons are everywhere. And if you didn't have a pigeon, you could use two turtle doves. So if you ever wonder where two turtle doves came from, they came from here. Not one, but two. So you would, yeah, yeah, and a partridge in a pear tree. Yeah, that, there's no partridges, just the two turtle doves. By the way, if you're wondering this, when Mary had Jesus and brought him to the temple to be dedicated to God through the ritual cleansing that they did in that day, Mary also had to do a ritual cleansing. Did you know that? So for those of you that think that Mary never had to, to do sacrifices for sins, you'd have a problem with uh, Luke 2.24. You can look at there. But she couldn't afford a normal offering. So you know what she sacrificed? Two pigeons. Interesting, huh? So even for the poor, you could get a sacrifice that you could afford. These people, however, were jacking the price up. They must work for the government somewhere along the way. They were jacking the price up. Why? Because they could. Second barrier was financial stress. This is actually brings us to the second barrier. Jews could not use their money. They had to use Roman money. Do you know why they couldn't use their money? Because Rome owned the world and Jewish money was worthless. It's like Canadian money. Try and pay for your burger with Canadian dollar bill. It doesn't go very far. All right, so in this day, you had to exchange Jewish money for Roman money. The other reason Jews didn't transfer over to just using Roman money, like Europe changing to the euro, the reason they hung on to their francs and all of those things, the reason they hung on to their, their money is because in the Jewish system, you could not have a coin with a face on it. And Caesar loved to stick his face on everything. So the coins all had Caesar's face on them. Jews would not be caught dead with a Roman coin. They carried Jewish coins that had plants on them. So when the, when the Jewish people got to uh, Passover, to Jerusalem, where the Romans ruled the day, they couldn't even get in until they exchanged their Jewish money 
for Roman money. And then they could buy whatever they want. But the exchange rates were way high. Again, I can, I can, I feel for them because I'm Canadian and when I go from Canada to the United States, I take a hit on my Canadian money. I have a Canadian bank account and I have an American bank account. And uh, my Canadian bank account could be like $5,000 and it's worth like a nickel here. So when you go to change your money, you have to find somebody that gives you a good rate. And in this day, they were jacking the rates up left and right. They were taking advantage of the people that did not have money. All right, because you don't understand, maybe uh, American doesn't appreciate the exchange rate. Think of it like an ATM machine. ATM machines are the bane of my existence. Because I get to a spot where it's like, oh yeah, we only take cash here. I'm going, what are you in the art, you know, middle ages, you only take cash. All right, we got to find an ATM. So we go look for an ATM and I put my card in. It's my money. It is my money. But the bank says, oh, that'll be a $5 charge. Literally, I'm not talking to anybody. I'm using a machine and they're going to charge me $5 to do, you know this? You understand this? How do you feel about that? If you want to be shocked out of your skull, Google when you get home how much money banks make off ATM charges. It's unbelievable. And by the way, it costs way more than the machine costs, so don't give me that, all right? This is rich people taking advantage of the poor people. So these people were making it very difficult for people to worship God like they should. Uh, let me tell you, before I get to the third barrier, let me tell you one more thing. If VC East, if our church, Village Church East, were to provide this, if everybody had to come here to sacrifice, you know what we would do at our church? We would ask for donations for animals, oxen, sheep, pigeons. I mean, go catch some pigeons. And we would bring them in. And for all of the people that came here that had to sacrifice here, we would, we would give them, Right? Wouldn't you think this would be a great opportunity to help people worship? Like, we want to help you enter into God's presence. So let us take the financial burden off you. It is exactly the opposite here in Jerusalem. And there's one more barrier. This is the court of the Gentiles. So the last barrier is the location. There were several courts in the temple in Jesus' day. There was the outer court which was referred to as the court of the Gentiles. That's the court that everybody had to go through in order to get a little further in. But if you're a Gentile, if you're not a Jew, that's as far as you go. You don't get to go any further because the court beyond that is for the pure people or the Jewish people. It, uh, um, it, was, uh, it was for the women particularly. It was called the court of the women. And if you were a man or a woman that was a Jew, you could go to the next court, beyond the outer court. Walk through the court of the Gentiles, and now you're in the pure court. You're, you're in, but if you're a woman, that's as far as you go. Because the court inside of that was called the court of the Israelites. And that was only for the men who were Jews. So once you go through that, then you get into one more court, and that's the court of the priests. That's where the priest did all the sacrifices. And then, to be honest with you, there's actually one more court, but it was actually a room that only one person could go into once a year. And what is that one place called? The Holy of Holies, the last entrance. These guys set up shop at the outer court. Literally, no one can get in 
without paying dues. This was their Black Friday. This was their, their, the, the day they did the most business and people were getting rich off God's back. Foreigners, pilgrims, everybody suffered as a result. And so Jesus has begun his ministry. He, you remember that he calls his disciples, he says, come and check me out. 14 months of that kind of language. Just come and see. Then he goes to the wedding at Cana. You remember with his mom? Goes to the wedding at Cana, and he begins his ministry. He looks at her and he says, listen, if I do this miracle, curtain rises, and it's not going down until I, I hung on a cross, hang on a cross. Are you ready for that? And she looks at the servants and said, do whatever he tells you. His ministry has begun, and the first place, church, listen, the first place he goes to is the temple. Why? Because that's the place where God is accessed in this day. Jesus is taking 30 years, a lifetime of abuse, of religious abuse, and he's walking into this outer court, and he sees it. Now that he has begun his ministry officially, he sees what's happening in this court, and he wants to do something about it. A lifetime of barrier abuse, a lifetime of individuals closing off the path to God for others based on, based on finances or disadvantages, a, a lifetime of people getting rich off God's back by creating barriers for people to come before God. Jesus, who is our pathway to God, who is prepared to give his life to make this road easy, whose mantra is, you can get there from here, comes into the temple and realizes these barriers are keeping people away from God. And now that the curtain has risen on his ministry, he heads to the temple. Verse 15, and making a whip of cords, that's how you say that, making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen, and he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. On a scale of one to 10, how disruptive of a moment is this for people? 10, they've never seen anything like this before. Jesus comes in, and like he's got the authority to do something nobody else does, he starts taking charge of the situation. Not only that, he's driving them out with violence to the point where they leave their money behind. He doesn't pick it up and stick it in his cloak. He overturns, I mean, money's everywhere. Animals everywhere. This is chaos. And we read this, and we have to understand what is happening behind the scenes that Jesus would create this kind of chaos. Please note, I've never made a whip before, but I assume it takes a little bit of time. You gotta, you gotta find the right materials. You got, Jesus is not doing this like, I'm losing it. Jesus sees what's happening and he says, all right, you wait here. I'm gonna go do a, do a creative project for a moment. He goes, finds the materials, he makes a whip. And then he comes back to the temple and with all premeditated intention, he drives these money changers out. To understand a little better, let me ask you a question. How would you feel investing your life in an organization that said they helped the poor and the needy but actually stole money from the poor and the needy? and abuse the very people they claim to help. How would you feel if you invested your whole life in an organization that said they helped the poor and the needy, 
but actually abused them and stole from them so that they could get rich. How would that make you feel? Well, let's get a little more personal. How would it make you feel if you found out your church was doing this? That might tick you off, right? Would you write, would God encourage you to write angry letters? Would God encourage you to stand up at a congregational meeting and expose the, 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 the dangers of this place, the evil occurring in the background? Would God encourage you to yell and stomp your feet and make a scene? Would God encourage you to make a whip <laughs> and throw out all the instruments used in worship? Because that's what Jesus did. And I think when you put it in that context, you understand what Jesus was giving his life for is what was being abused. And the people who he was giving his life for to make access to God easy, accessible, these people were creating as many barriers as they could. These people could have been been helping these people. They could have been using this as a ministry. Instead, they were stealing from those they claimed to be helping the most. Verse 16, and he told those who sold the pigeons, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. When you read it on the surface, you think to yourself, churches shouldn't be making money. The temple shouldn't be, but you've missed the point. The point is not that religious institutions should not be making money. The point is any institution that claims to be a place of worship, their main goal is to remove any barriers, as many barriers as possible, so everyone has access to God. Jesus looks at these people, he says, as spiritual leaders, you're to make access to God simple, easy. How dare you create barriers to God? Our primary responsibility, church, is to remove barriers so that everyone who wants to worship God can. Regardless of their poor to rich status, regardless of their slave to, to, to ownership status, regardless of, of their gender, regard, regardless of anything. Our goal, church, is to remove any obstacles that makes access to God difficult. This is what made Jesus so angry. Why? Because God has gone to extreme lengths to make his own access easy. This is why we have Jesus Christ. He came so that all who believe in him should not perish, but have eternal life. He is the access to God. We cannot approach God in our sin. God is holy. We cannot be holy. So Jesus dies so that we can have his holiness. Like all the songs we sang this morning, his holiness was transferred on the cross so that we could be holy. 2 Corinthians 5.19 puts it this way. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. Think of trespasses like sin. Not counting their sin against them and entrusting to us. Who's us? The church, that's us. Entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we, church, we are ambassadors for Christ. God makes his appeal Through us, we implore you on on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him, Jesus, who knew no sin. He made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him 
we might become the righteousness of God. Our goal, church, is to take the message of the gospel and make it as accessible to anyone who wants it. This is Jesus' heart. This is demonstrated in the temple, and this is our job as believers. We are ambassadors of God with this message. Jesus is angry because these people were supposed to be making access to God easy. They were making money off worship. They were putting up roadblocks and barriers to those who needed Jesus the most. They were exploiting the disadvantages of others. They were giving preferential treatment, and they were making money off everything. Not money that they could use for ministry. You understand that, right? (laughs) This is money so that they could buy yachts. They didn't have yachts, but you understand When Jesus stood before them, prepared to give his own life to make access to God as easy. This guy, driving these people out, was saying, you don't understand the lengths that I will go to to destroy any barriers between people and God. And you keep putting them up. How do I know that? Because it goes right into the gospel in the next verse, verse 17. The disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will will consume me. This is a a passage from Psalms that is pulled over into the New Testament and it's a prophecy of the Messiah that zeal for the Lord's house would consume him. Listen, this is not zeal for brick and mortar. This is not zeal for for a, a place that we set up and tear down. This is not zeal for a location where we gather. This is not zeal for the temple. The temple was built by a a hideous leader, Herod. It would literally he named it after him. It's called Herod's temple. And he used the money of the people to build it. A monument to his own greatness. And it was leveled about 30 years after this. God is not in love with buildings. But he's in love with access to himself. Zeal for the Lord's house. Zeal zeal was for this institution called the church. Zeal of Jesus was for this institution called God's family. Zeal for Jesus was fervent in his heart because he would become the place where people gather. He would be the the melting point. He would be the meeting point. He even said this. In the New Testament, he said in Matthew 18, 20. Read this with me, church, because it's really good. Here we go. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. He becomes the point where we worship. He's the only access we have to God. You wonder why I always finish my prayers with, in Jesus' name, amen, because God doesn't hear us. The Father does not hear any prayers were it not for Jesus Christ. We have access into the presence of God because God bled to give us access. He's the gate. This is why he calls himself the gate. He says, no one comes to the, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And if you take Jesus out of the access to God, there is no other access. This is God's plan for access. This is the gospel. Verse 18, so the Jews said to him, what sign do you show us for doing these things? In other words, think of that like, what authority do you have to overturn our tables and chase us out of here? You're not, you're not one of the known rabbis. You're, you're not one of the chief priests. What right do you have to correct what we're doing here? 
And Jesus answered and said to them, destroy this temple and in three days I'll rise it up. Like that's not an answer, right? That's not an answer. Listen, these guys paid for the right to do what they were doing. This is a concession booth. If you go to a big conference and you see concession booths, people pay to put those concession booths up there. These guys paid the Pharisees and the Sadducees so that they could set up booths where they could sell these things and charge exorbitant prices to whoever needs them. They had every right to be there, according to the religious leaders of the day. But according to Jesus, they didn't. Why? Because he is our access to God. They were within their rights, and Jesus was making business bad for them. So he doesn't really answer them and tell them who gives him this authority. He simply establishes his own authority as God. He doesn't answer them and say, my father in heaven gave me this this right so I can do whatever I want. I'm the son of God. He He doesn't say any of that. Instead, what he says is he establishes his own authority. He simply says, I will do what only a God can do. Destroy this temple. And they're thinking, this temple, like this building in three days? Who can build this building in three days? But he wasn't talking about that temple, was he? He was talking about himself. He was establishing his authority as God. So the Jews said to him, verse 20, they were clearly confused. It has taken 46 years to build this temple. How will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. Therefore, when therefore he was raised from the dead, the disciples remembered this occasion. They remembered he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the words the Lord Jesus had spoken. Church, whenever any institution creates roadblocks for people to worship God, it is an act of evil. Let me say that one more time because this is profound and it goes on constantly. Whenever any institution who should be giving access to God creates roadblocks to God, that is an evil institution. Not only are they distorting the gospel, they're degrading who Jesus is and what he came to do. They're saying, it's Jesus plus. Jesus said, I am the way. I am the door. You must enter through me. Listen, the church slowly fell into this trap. After Jesus died, rose from the dead, and the church began to be established in the New Testament, they slowly fell into this trap. In James 2, we have an occasion where the church is being written to because they were doing some things wrong. They were preferring rich people attend instead of the riffraff. And so James gives us this verse in verse one, my brothers, show no partiality as you hold to faith in Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothes also comes in. And if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit in the good place, while you say to the poor man, you just go sit over there, sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with what kind of thoughts, church? If you prefer the rich over the poor, you are creating barriers to God. Why? Because Jesus made accessible, accessibility to God accessible for everyone. 
There are institutions that do this question uh, constantly. What barriers were they putting up here? They were preventing people who had nothing from feeling like they were something. In the New Testament, when communion was taken, in the passage we read every week when we take communion, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, do you know this passage is not a great passage to read if you read the whole thing? These people were actually being a little chided for their behavior in communion. Because at the church of Corinth, what was happening was the, the, the food was actually a meal. And at the end of the meal, they would do the thing that we do right, right now, which is more of a communion thing. Their meal was called the agape feast. They would do this potluck every Sunday when they gather. And so the rich people could get there faster, and so they would bring their food, food, share it with all the rich people. And the poor people who had to walk sometimes very long distances, they would get there a little later, and they go, oh, is the is bruschetta all gone already? I, I missed it. Oh. I'm trying to think of what I like the most when it comes to Abbott. Oh, the buffalo wings are all gone. You know, look at that. All the good food was gone. Because the rich people who could get there faster and had the better feed, uh, had the better food, were eating all of the food before the poor people could get there. And if you read 1 Corinthians 11, all of it, you'll see that Paul is not very pleased with this. He says, for in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What, have you not houses to eat and drink in? Or you, listen, do you despise the church, insert family of God, and humiliate those who have nothing. What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you for this? No, I won't. So brothers, when you come together and eat, what does it say, church? Wait for one another. This is one reason when we take communion here, we all wait for one another, and we eat and we drink at the same time. It's a symbol that we all are equal, and God is accessible to all. What barriers were they putting up here? They were putting up barriers to those who had food and had stuff and had money and had it access that they could get there faster. Had the good wine, got drunk. <laughs> Listen, this even happened when people were using their gifts in the church. This, was, this happened rampant after, after Jesus rose from the dead. In the book, again, of 1 Corinthians 13, when people were using their gifts, they were saying, my gift is better than your gift. <laughs> I speak in tongues and you just uh, serve in uh, the kitchen. I, I'm, I'm able to have a word of prophecy, but you, uh, you, you just work with the AV team. 1 Corinthians 1, 13, verse 1. You've heard these verses before, but here's what they actually mean. If I speak with the tongues of men and angels, but if I don't have love... I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Have you been ever woken up from a dead sleep by a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal? You remember those old alarm clocks? You remember those? Ah, they were horrible, right? But you had to get up because it was just a god-awful sound, right? Church, if we are doing our service for one another, but if we don't have love, that's what we sound like to God. Keep reading. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith, don't you love people that have incredible faith? If I have faith so, I can, so as to remove mountains, but if I have not love, I am what, church? Nothing. If I give away all I have, if I sell it all and give it to the poor, 
And if I deliver up my body to be burned, I go to the stake for my faith. But if I do not have love, I gain how much, church? Do you want to know why? Because if you can use your gifts in the church in such a way to give people access to God, that's always demonstrated through love. But if you do it and it prevents people or if it hurts people when you show your gift because you can't use love to do it, it's just better that you don't use your gifts. Is that a crazy thought? But that is the message of the temple. Jesus is driving out people who are creating barriers to God. If you do your service to God and it doesn't communicate love, it's just better that you don't help out. That's wild talk, isn't it? And if you think that's too rough, you should go forward to the book of Revelation chapter two and read about the church at Ephesus where they were doing a lot of good stuff and they were commended for a lot of amazing things but they didn't have love for God and so God said, I'd rather you just weren't around. Crazy. Please note, these people are coming to church. (laughs) These Corinthians are coming to church. These people in James' scattered tribes are all going to church. This letter is written to their church. They are attending church. But instead of creating pathways to God, they create barriers in what they do and how they do what they do. These people were not despising the church. They were worshiping. They had gifts to use. But in using their gifts, they created barriers instead of pathways for others to God. So here's the bottom line, church. If my actions create barriers instead of highways for people to approach God freely and vulnerably, I am a part of the problem. This is heavy duty, right? Because all of us are thinking, well, I serve in the church in some different areas. That's great. That's awesome. This message is for you. Do everything to make sure proper access to God is properly accessible for everyone. Here's some so what's. Number one, prevent any barrier before anyone seeking Jesus Christ. Move every barrier out of the way. This may take introspection that hurts. The questions we need to ask ourselves is, what am I doing that hinders other people from experiencing Jesus Christ? Am I using my gifts to help others, but really I create situations that hurt others? Does my life communicate that others can find easy access to God? who truly loves them, am I honestly available to everyone, anyone who wants to know Jesus? These are the hard questions we need to ask ourselves. You can't get there from here. Should never be in any of our vocabulary and never communicated by any of our lives. Everybody who meets us should say, listen, you seem to have a relationship with God that, that I, need, I need to talk to you because I need access. You know this because when you say, I'll pray for you, people go, oh, thank you. I've told people that don't even know God, (laughs) don't even follow God. I'll just insert it. I'll say, listen, you know what? And I know they, they openly, agnostic, atheist, whatever, but I'll stick it in there anyway. And I'll say, listen, I'm gonna pray for you. And every time they say thank you. Why? Because I'm giving them easy access to the Father. And they take me seriously when I say it. 
Let me help you to get to Jesus in any way that I can. Why? Because I believe Romans 10, 13, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Everyone. So you may need to pray on this for a while and ask God to change your heart, make you more welcoming so that others can see you as a pathway instead of a barrier. Number two, you do as much as you can to remove any barrier to Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 9.22, Paul says, to the weak I become weak, that I might win the weak. <laughs> I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I might share with them in its blessings. Do you know what he's saying? I will do whatever I need to, I'll kill whatever in me I need to kill. I will, I will serve whoever demands my attention. I get the idea that if Paul the Apostle were around today and I were to say, hey, Paul, listen, we're just a small church. We're, we're trying to make a big dent in the kingdom for the kingdom of God, but would you come and speak on a Sunday for us? I think Paul the Apostle would say, give me a date, I'll be there. There's certain guys I can't ask that <laughs> from in, the, in this world today, but I get the feeling that Paul would say yes if he could. Don't you? Access to God is only through Jesus Christ. Don't add to it. Don't make barriers to make it non-accessible to others. Religious institutions that do this just, I, uh, I know I talk about this all the time, but we have some in our own church that have been abused by religious institutions that say, keep trying, keep working, keep giving, keep doing this, keep doing that. Keep bleeding for our church and then you'll have access to God. You need to get out of that church because that's not a church. That's not what Jesus died for. Jesus died so you'd have easy access, not barriers in your way. Do you want to know what you need to do to get forgiveness of sins? Just ask. Just ask. Because to be honest with you, your sins have already been paid for past, present, and anything you do in the future. Jesus has already paid the price so that you can have easy access to God. The reason we confess our sins is because we need personal release from those things, and we need help from the Holy Spirit to overcome the sin that easily besets us. Don't get ever wrapped up in the idea that if you sin too much, you're messed up and you're going to go to hell. That's not the God of the Bible. God of the Bible is easy access. Forgiveness is simply asking. 1 John 1, 9. Salvation is simply believing. If you call upon the name of the Lord of Jesus Christ, you shall be saved. And holiness is simply accepting. There is nothing you need to crawl on to make this access to God possible. Jesus knew this would be an ongoing problem for the church. Did you know that? <laughs> he knew what would happen in the New Testament. So I'm glad you're sitting down because you probably don't know this. Do you know Jesus did this cleansing activity in the temple twice? Did you know that? You can read it in scripture. He did it at the beginning of his ministry and he did it the day of Palm Sunday. And they had it with him. This guy's out of control. He's constantly overturning our tables. He did this three years ago. Now he's doing it again. Let's kill him. He did it twice. Why? Because he knows we're going to forget. And his point is to, to communicate to us clearly, access to God is available, it's easy, it's, it's open, and it's for everyone. And to make it that way, I'm giving my own life so that anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. 
when he died on the cross, one of the biggest things that happened on the day that he died is the temple veil was rent from the top to the bottom. Why? Because access to God was not through sacrifices of animals anymore or some guy wearing a robe with pomegranates hanging from the bottom of it. Access to God now was available to all people. That veil was rent from the top to the bottom, not from the bottom up, not humans to God. God rented from top to bottom. Why? Because he went out of the way to make access to himself possible by giving us his only son. For God so loved the world that he gave us his only son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And now everyone can walk into the holiest place of all, right into the presence of God. Why? Because Jesus died to make God accessible. Number three, see all people equally deserving of Jesus Christ. If I were the devil, if I were the devil, I know I can't get rid of the gospel. It's gonna be here forever. So you know what I would do? I would twist it. I would add to it. I would subtract from it. I'd pervert it just a little bit so that people think they're following the gospel but miss it every time. If I were the devil, that's what I would do. And I think that's what he does as well. The Galatians were another church that began to add to scripture. They began to think, well, it's Jesus' death on the cross plus a little bit of my efforts. And you know what Paul said? He said, they have been bewitched. Do you know that's in the Bible? Galatians 5.1, oh foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you this, did you receive the spirit by works or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the spirit in faith, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Are you now keeping it by the flesh? Listen, if God gave you access through Jesus Christ, God will keep you in Jesus Christ. You don't have to worry that the door will ever slam in your face. He has done everything to make his access possible, open, vulnerable, everything you need, powerful. He cleanses us so that we can go in. And by the way, I love the fact that he, Jesus does this whole cleansing process in the outer court. It's not at the court of the, the, the Jews. It's not even the court of the Jewish women. It's not even in the temple where the sacrifices are being done. He does this activity at the main point of entrance. Why? Because everybody could get into the outer court. Everybody was welcome. The way someone comes to the gospel is the way they'll live out the gospel. And so we need to portray the gospel to everyone who comes to the Lord, everyone who comes to him for salvation. That is only by faith in Jesus Christ, is by faith through grace, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast, Ephesians chapter 2. It is our job, church, to protect the simplicity and the accessibility of the gospel in the way that we live and in the way that we worship God. Here's the point. Do everything to make sure proper access to God is properly accessible for everyone. Church, in the way that we do church on Sunday morning in the way that we open the doors when we sing, in the way that we use our gifts in the church, in the way that we function in daily life. We need to be the kind of people that people look at and go, you seem to have easy access to God. I'd like to ask you about Jesus Christ, right? We need to portray that Jesus is accessible to everyone. If we like hanging out with rich people because of what they can get for us, we're, we're <laughs> welcome to the book of James. 
you sit in the nice place. You got cash. Put the poor people behind the beams. <laughs> I can't see. So I leave you with this, church. K-I-S-S-S. The gospel is free, accessible, and equally redeeming to everyone. And so, not the typical K-I-S-S that would fit here, but this is keeping God's incredible salvation story simple. Don't add to it. Don't subtract to it. And for God's sake, don't get in the way of it. Just love God and allow him to present you as an ambassador for others of how they can be reconciled to the God who loves them. Let's pray. Father, I'm grateful for our time this morning, and it's such a simple message. I pray that it has come across that way. When you go into the temple and, and bust up the day for these poor people, they had no idea what they were just doing what they normally did their whole lives. But to you, it was an affront because it was barriers they were putting up for others to access you. And I'm, I'm grateful that you showed us through this incredible experience your passion for keeping access easy. Thank you that you died on the cross and you did everything needed so that we could wear the righteousness of God. Thank you that we don't need to be ashamed. We, we who are, we know we're full of sin from the crown of our head to the sole of our foot and yet you have redeemed us, washed us clean, made us holy and invite us into your presence anytime we want to come. Lord, may that be the message that we take to this darkening world that there is a God who will do the same for them. And it doesn't matter how far down the hole they think they are, your grace always reaches to any depths to pull anyone out, wash them off and give them a place in the family of God, a place in your house. Thank you, Father, for this wonderful message from the temple cleansing. And thank you that you did it twice so that we could know how important this is for us as a church. May we be the kind of church that removes as many barriers as humanly possible so that all who call upon your name can be saved. I pray in Jesus' name.